Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. And if you're following along in new version or on the outline, um, the supporting scriptures that say John 3 are actually Matthew chapter 3. So we'll be, you'll be able to make those adjustments. But on this second week of Advent, our theme today is prepare. We begin to anticipate what God can do, what Jesus can do, because he came once and he's coming again. And that anticipation leads us to preparation. After Beth and I married, we had um, a condo in the Rivergate area there behind what was a media play. I think it's the Goodwill now. And this was pre-kids, so it wasn't too hard to keep a condo clean. Um, Lincoln, you and your brother and sister ruined everything as far as clean houses once you guys came. But it wasn't very difficult. But Beth's late father and her mother, who's still with us, they lived in Kentucky. And Peggy still lives there 300 miles away. And they were both working at the time. So... Um, every six or eight weeks or so, they'd come down and they'd leave on a Saturday. And so in, we would anticipate them coming and do certain chores during the week to get the condo and, and make sure it was clean and so forth. Then the day of their arrival, there was a system that was established. Whenever um, Dickie and Peggy got to the Kentucky-Tennessee border, they would call. And they'd say, we're at the Kentucky-Tennessee border. And when that phone call was made... There was just a shift in mindset in our house. Now, all of a sudden, even though the house was pretty clean, um, all of the finishing touches were put on then. The, the throw pillows on the couch were kind of fluffed up, right? Candles were lit. The drapes were positioned just right for the sunlight to come into the room. And we were getting ready. We had anticipated all week their arrival, but now we were preparing those last-minute details because we knew they were near. They were going to be there soon. Of course, when they got there, they didn't care about the condo. They were just glad to see their newly married daughter. That's what really mattered. But we were like, let's prepare for them. We move now with this as a, a guiding kind of story. When we begin to anticipate the work of Jesus and his second coming, anticipa anticipation leads us to preparation. And I want you to look at Matthew chapter 3, starting with verse 1. We're going to look at all the way through verse 12 today, but we'll just start with verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one, that's John the Baptist is, spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist, his ministry was anticipated hundreds of years before by Isaiah. And it was a ministry of preparation. It was a ministry that got people's hearts aligned and ready so that they could recognize Jesus. And when we sit under anointed preaching, when we sit under music that's exalting the presence of God, when we read Christian literature, and most importantly, when we have exposure to the scripture, that prophetic revealed word of the Lord prepares us for the coming of the Lord. So it is that John the Baptist and the spirit of John the Baptist is still with us is a 
preparatory message that says, hey, get ready for what God is going to do. And here we are now in this holiday season in which we kind of mentally relax, right? And this is part of the rhythm of our life. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I remember this started in my life in the academic world in high school and college and so forth, where I knew if I got to about mid-December, I could just shut off my brain for a few weeks. I could just, you know, do more frivolous things and just, just not worry so much about some of the pressure, some of the uh, things that have happened, the, 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 the deadlines I was under. And now I've, I've seen this in uh, commerce and business. I mean, try to get anything done the week after Christmas. It's almost impossible this, these days. Everyone just kind of takes off. And so that's, that's, there's many positive things to that. There's many positive things about that rhythm. But what is potentially damaging is when we spiritually disengage during that time. And that's why Advent is so important. Because Advent reminds us this, this is a season where the pace is changing, but there's much spiritual life in this season. And I hope that you're using those Advent devotionals or at least you're remaining faithful to your devotionals. And the idea is not to check a Bible reading off or to try to just get your 10 or 15 minutes with God so that you can not have to worry about spiritual things the rest of the day and just enjoy the holidays. No, this is what I'm challenging myself and now I challenge you, is for us to stay aware of the presence of God during our leisure time, during our holiday time, during our break time, and, and just to allow this to be a tender time with the Lord, where the Lord shapes our hearts. And as we read those scriptures about from Isaiah and Micah and the Old Testament prophets declaring the coming of the Lord and we see the Lord's coming again. He is shaping our hearts and molding our hearts and he's preparing us. So how do we prepare? I'm gonna give you some observation from Matthew chapter three. We prepare, we prepare because, you can write this down, because the kingdom is near. The kingdom is close. It's a concept that I've preached about the last two years. You can go back and, and listen to it again or read about it. It's the already not yet kingdom of God. The idea that since Jesus came in the incarnation, the kingdom of God is already, it's here. It's among us. But the not yet part is a part that Jesus hasn't fully asserted his rule and reign. He hasn't fully revealed all of himself until his second coming. We don't know when or really even how that's going to happen, but we know he promised he's coming again. And the already kingdom of God is here, but the not yet kingdom of God, we're still awaiting. This explains a lot of the tension we have. It's kind of a holy tension. Um, this answers a lot of questions between our waiting period between what God promised and what we haven't seen yet. And the earth itself, creation itself, we're in this kind of waiting period. We know that Jesus is in charge. We know that Jesus has conquered sin. Jesus has conquered the grave. And we see the rule of Jesus in many, many places, hopefully even in our own hearts. But it's not quite there yet. We're still waiting for that second coming. We're still waiting for him to assert his rule and reign in certain areas, sometimes because we need to allow them and sometimes because of his sovereign promise. Isaiah chapter 11, it's one of the scriptures that has spoken to both 
about John the Baptist and about us today. This is a beautiful scripture, Isaiah chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Now you, you read that right away and you're like, what does that mean? I want you to imagine a stump of what was once a mighty tree, a tree that had been cut down or destroyed for whatever purpose. And sometimes a tree stump is just a memory. It's a memory of strength. It's a memory of greatness. And this was the Jewish people under the rule of Solomon, under the rule of perhaps a Jehoshaphat the, the, uh, in, in the Judah, the tribe of Judah. A, a time when the Jewish people had military strength and political strength and prestige in the world. This was a time when the tree was big and solid and noticeable, but now it's just a memory. It's just a memory. It's just a, a tree stump. And this is what the Lord says. The Lord says, out of, out of what appears to be uh, weak and unusable and a remnant of something great before, this is what he says, from the stump of Jesse, a branch, uh, a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root will bear fruit. This is talking about the Messiah who is Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously. This is meaning no error. No error by false testimony. And going on, verse four, and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with discipline from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his loins. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. And then we get to verse six, some of the most beautiful words that give us great hope about what God can do when even creation itself submits to him, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fatling will be together. And a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit. And a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. Now here's the key verse, verse nine. None will, none will harm or destroy another on my entire holy mountain for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with the water. This has happened with the incarnation, with the baby in Bethlehem and it will happen fully when Jesus comes again. There's coming a time when this world is not going to have the disorder we see, even the disorder we see in the animal kingdom as animals destroy one another. The disorder we feel when we're victims of, of the um, environment, we're victims of the weather, we're victims of natural disasters. These things happen to the good and to the evil. They happen to all of us. None of us are completely immune from these things. We live in this troubled world where there's natural disasters. And there is the work of evil in the hearts of human beings. 
And there is a righteous king, a righteous judge. Advent tells us that God is coming. Jesus is coming again. He's coming to rule the world. He's coming to put the world under his submission and his rule and his reign. And this is why we prepare. We prepare because we have a story. We have a story of power. We have a story of power to share about Jesus. And we don't do this because we're, we feel guilty or we're trying to like um, follow some kind of evangelism plan or we're trying to just, just do something to appease our conscience. Those are all motivations that limit us. What we have is this incredible story that the world needs to hear, that we serve a God who's going to make things better. We serve a God who has the end of the story, that we are preparing to see our God come and do what we can't do ourselves, what human power cannot accomplish, what the plans of men cannot accomplish, what the plans of the, the most powerful governments and the uh, most sophisticated systems of education and the greatest scientific breakthroughs, they cannot accomplish what our God will accomplish. And so we partner with God to see his breakthrough. This is the hope that we have. So we go back and we think about the, the little condo that we cleaned down in Madison. I only know that whenever we clean a home that we change its condition. So the home may be in disorder. There's that breakfast table. Not a, this is not in my house. I'm just imagining it in someone else's random house out there. The breakfast table that has a pile of mail and it has maybe some laundry laying there because a basket wasn't found. And there may be a cup that someone just put right there instead of taking it five feet to the trash can. And, and it's just this pile. And, and you, you, by faith, you believe there's a table underneath it, but you're just not quite sure. And so what happens? Five minutes of attention, 10 minutes of attention, put the laundry where it's supposed to go, restack the mail, throw away the junk, put the bills where they're supposed to go, throw away the trash. And what was disorder becomes order, right? What was chaos, now we've changed the condition of it. Um, there's corners of a house that we just don't get to. Some of us, not you. You actually have to move furniture to get to some of the dirt, do you not? You actually have to move the couch to really clean a floor. That which is dirty gets cleaned. That which is dysfunctional can become displayable. You empty nesters, I've, I've picked on all the little kids who, who make a mess, but you empty nesters get an extra room and you just throw everything in there that you don't want to organize. It's that one room, you have these beautiful homes, four bedrooms, but that fourth bedroom, don't go in that, that bedroom. In fact, you may not be able to open the door fully because there's old treadmills, right? There's, a, there's, there's clothes you're going to someday have a garage sale and sell these clothes. There's all these kind of crafty things for uh, Christmas of 2017 that you're just saving for the next time. And so what happens? You spend half a day, you put the stuff in the garage you're supposed to, you put the stuff in the attic, and what was a dysfunctional room becomes displayable. Now it's like, come see my man cave, right? Huh? Come see this place I'm going to eat junk food and watch sports in. Or come see my sewing room. This is my crafts room. And what was in dysfunctional becomes displayable. This is a function of what repentance is. Repentance is taking that which is in disorder 
and bringing order to it. Repentance is bringing that which is dirty and cleansing it. Repentance is bringing, bringing, taking that which is dysfunctional and giving it purpose and making it displayable. And this is a second area I see from Scripture today of how we repair. We prepare through repentance. Write it down if you're taking notes. Repentance is changing direction. It means you're walking this way and you turn and you walk another way. Repentance is changing the condition of something. Like cleaning a house. We get rid of the dirt. We give purpose where there's not purpose. We give order where there's chaos. And I I want to tell you this day that when John the Baptist came and he spoke a prophetic message calling people to repent, calling people to turn from their sins, calling people to change their direction, he did not go to people who had not heard the name of Yahweh. He did not go to people who not had access to the Torah or to the scripture. John the Baptist came to the most religious, to the people who had the most exposure to the scripture. John the Baptist came to those who were on the inside and they were part of the crowd. And it was to those people that he said, repent because the kingdom of God is near. And I'm going to be so bold today to say this to this people who are gathered here today. The message of repentance isn't always for the unbeliever. In fact, most of the time it's for the believer. God's saying to the believer, you're walking in a wrong direction. And to now it's time to turn around and to turn yourself towards God. This is the preparation for what God's doing. Look at verse 2 of Matthew 3. He said, repent, John the Baptist, because the kingdom of God has come near. For he's the one spoken about by, about by the prophet Isaiah, who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Verse four, you see here that John the Baptist, his ministry wasn't always relevant. It, it wasn't always uh, culturally acceptable. It wasn't always um, appealing um, to what comforts us. Because verse four says, John himself had a, camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey but look what happened in verse 5 then people from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins God's calling us to be people of repentance and individuals of repentance God's calling us to be people and individuals of confession. I have pastors in my life that both both confess sins to me and I confess sins to them. Because we know this, is we know that in order to, to be the men of God he's called us to be, we have to be men of repentance and men of confession. And for God to change our culture, it has to start with us. It has to start with the religious. It has to start with the informed. It has to start with the insiders. It has to start within the church. The call to repentance starts in the house of God. It doesn't start outside the house of God. It starts within. We're called, our our generation wants to love the world so much. and, And that certainly is what I want to do. In fact, I feel like God's teaching me how to love more unconditionally, teaching me to move past my biases, to move past my pride, to 
move past some of my cultural conditioning to love unconditionally. And we need to love, love, love. Like never before, our world's crying out for love. Love is the call of our generation. But we must remember while we love that the most loving action we can participate in is standing for truth that sets people free. We don't have to do so in a defensive way or a volatile way or an arrogant way or a prideful way. But the scripture calls us to speak the truth in love. And Paul was writing in the book of Romans and he was talking about a group of people, the circumcised, who were the people who were outside of God's chosen, um, chosen group before Jesus. And this is what he said in Romans 15 verse 8. For I say that the Messiah became a servant of the circumcised. Now here, look at this phrase here. On behalf of God's truth. The Messiah became a servant of the circumcised. In other words, a servant of unbelievers. On behalf of God's truth. To confirm the promises to the fathers. And so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. How can people understand mercy if we don't understand truth? And so the Lord will show us how to do that, will he not? He will show us more love, more love, more love, more truth with that love. And the Lord will show us how to have the tone and the spirit that he wants, to not have an agenda except for God's heart and the revelation of Jesus, and he will show us that. And so it is as we prepare people, God's calling us to prepare through repentance. Well, I want to change pace a little bit. This has been a real serious sermon. You know, I've just been boom, 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 boom. So I'll try to do something kind of funny. How, does that sound like a good idea to some of you guys? Come on, you're like second week of Christmas. There's a story you may have read a few years ago, and you'll enjoy hearing it again. And a picture will give us some context to read the story to you. A man came home from work and found his three children outside, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud, with empty food boxes and wrappers thrown all around the front yard. The door of his wife's car was open, as was the front door to the house, and there was no sign of the dog. Proceeding into the entry, he found an even bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over, and the throw rug was wadded up against one wall. In the front room, the TV was loudly blaring a cartoon channel, and the family room was covered with toys and various items of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink. Breakfast food was spilled on the counter. The fridge door was opened wide. Dog food was spilled on the floor. A broken glass lay under the table and a small pile of sand was spread by the back door. He quickly headed up the stairs, stepping over toys and more piles of clothes, looking for his wife. He was worried she might be ill or that something seriously had, serious had happened. He was met with a small trickle of water as it made its way out the bathroom door. As he peered inside, he found wet towels, scummy soap, more toys thrown all over the floor. Miles of toilet paper lay in heap with toothpaste that had been smeared all over the mirrors, mirrors and walls. As he rushed to the bedroom, he found his wife still curled up in bed in her pajamas reading a novel. She looked up at him, smiled, and asked how his day went. 
He looked at her bewildered and asked, what happened here today? She again smiled and answered, you know, every day when you come, you come home from work and you ask me sarcastically what in the world I do all day? Yes, was his incredulous reply. She answered, well, today I didn't do it. I should have saved that for Mother's Day, huh? <laughs> the fruitfulness of a mom, sometimes we don't recognize all we do. But here's, here's the last point I want to make today is how do we prepare? This is what I get from John the Baptist in Matthew 3. Through fruitfulness by the Holy Spirit and by his word. Through fruitfulness. We're preparing. We're preparing through repentance. And we're preparing because the kingdom is near. But John the Baptist calls us religious people to be fruitful by the Holy Spirit. Here's John chapter three, starting with verse seven, or Matthew chapter three, I'm sorry. Matthew three, the whole, Matthew's talking about John the Baptist and that, what, that is what threw me off on the notes and everything. Matthew chapter three, verse seven. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Here's a key, key scripture here, verse eight. Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the ax is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hands and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into barns. But the Shaft he will burn up with fire that never goes out. See, the call to repentance is also a call to fruitfulness. And in the days ahead of us, in the years ahead of us, I want to challenge all of us, whatever we have left in this life, and only God knows our days, to be men and women of repentance. And men, of, and men and women of fruitfulness because the Lord deserves it. I feel a, a great warning call today. Reading much about our economy this day, we, we have some great economic news ahead of us. Unemployment's at its lowest rate since 2007. The Dow Jones broke $19,000 this month. Excuse me, 19,000 on, the, on its, its measurement, its metric, for the first time ever. The American dollar is stronger than ever before, than in recent memory, let's put it that way. The American dollar is doing well against the other, um, the other economies of the world. I tell you all this because we, we probably have a few years, good years of economic news ahead of us. I, and I thank God for that. And I warn you too, I warn you. Because with more money comes more options. And with more resources come more traps. And there's 
less of a reason to be desperate for God. And there's more options for your kids. And there's more opportunities that we have. The greatest test of where our heart is, is not poverty, but it's prosperity. And I warn you to be men and women of repentance. And I warn you to not have the pride of thinking because you have the knowledge of the Lord and you have access to content that the rest of the world, the rest of culture is just doing so terrible, but you've got it together when God's saying repentance starts in the house of God. Repentance starts right here in the kingdom of God. So it is that we're invited to this wonderful life, this exciting life in the kingdom. And I want to challenge you to not be scared to live a sacrificial life for God. This may have nothing to do with money. Nothing to do with money, so don't be scared of that. It may, but it may not. But sacrifice for the kingdom is worth it. Many of you are afraid to get close to God because you don't want to give your time up. You've worked hard to have your own time. You've, You've worked hard to have have your um, your choice and and you may be moving into a season of of a different pace of more disposable time more choice over what you do and it's something that you've been longing for and looking for so because of that you're scared to get close to the Lord because you're thinking this maybe you don't realize this till now you think if I get close to God I won't be able to control my time anymore this this is a deception of the enemy. This is the enemy deceiving us because when when we give our hearts fully to God, any level of sacrifice, any level of sacrifice is part of his call on our life. It goes well for us. A life of sacrifice is so much better than a life of selfishness. Do we not realize that? There's greater fruit when we live sacrificially. I'm not calling us to be like self-masochists that we're just all trying to outprove each other how much we can sacrifice. I'm calling us to follow the Spirit, follow His lead, follow His direction, go where He's leading us. And some of us, that, that this issue of time is an issue. Some of us, we need to sacrifice our own significance. God may be calling you to do something that makes you less significant to your circle of friends less significant to what your past identity is, but you're going to be like Jesus and you're going to humble yourself and you're going to go to a place of sacrifice and that place is better than the place of notoriety. That place of sacrifice is better than the place of earthly prestige because God's going to use that in greater measure and there's going to be a greater anointing at the place that he leads and at the place that we try to produce. I want us to stand together. The preparation for the Lord is a good thing. We move from anticipation to preparation. And God, you begin to position ourselves to get us ready. Get us ready for what you want. Psalm 72 says these words. God, give your justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son. He, being Jesus, will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people and the hills righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted among the people, help the poor, and crush the oppressor. Verse 5, may he continue while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout 
throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the cut grass, like spring showers that waters the earth. May the righteous flourish in his days and prosperity abound until the moon is no more. Verse 18, may the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders, be praised. May his glorious name be praised forever. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen and amen. God, we thank you for the blessings and prosperity of the Lord that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for um, the gifts we've received simply by being citizens of this United States of America. Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, how you've prospered Gallatin and Hendersonville and Lord Nashville and you've placed us here for such a time as this. this is, these are exciting days for our city. It's an exciting day for our region. We thank you God for, for the positive economic factors that we see in our nation. We praise you for that. But God help us not to let your gifts spoil in our really greedy hands. God, let us be givers, not just givers of money, Lord, but give, uh, sacrificial of our talents, of our time for the kingdom, God. Lord, let us not be deceived, Lord, by the enemy of our soul who wants to call us into complacency. Lord, instead, Lord, we want to go to the place of love and truth, the place of power, God. Lord, we want to go to the place that you've called us to, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you. Let's just listen to the Lord right now. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. We love you. Thank you for the scripture, God. Thank you for this prepared sermon. But God, I know you want to speak to these people right now. Lord, you've gathered them for a certain reason, a certain time. Thank you for the presence of the Lord. Thank you for the friendship of the Lord. The Lord reminds us today that it's about his friendship. It's about his, his companionship. It's about his presence. It's not about, it's not about many of the other things that, have been deceived. May we've been taught wrong. May we've developed wrong habits. The Lord's calling us back to that relationship with Him. The Lord's calling us back to repentance. And you know, the last question I had in my sermon, I'm going to ask it now under the leadership of the Spirit here. What are you preparing for? What are you preparing for? If you're preparing for a day to leave your family, the Lord says repent today those plans need to end today. It's a plan that no one else has known, but you've been planning. You're planning to leave your family at a future day. The Lord says, repent of that today. It stops today. It stops right now. If you're making plans to sin, that needs to stop right now. Those plans, the enemy has exposed us this day. The enemy has exposed us. Uh, the Lord has exposed the, the plans of the enemy the, the Lord has exposed those things. Let me correct what I said. The Lord's exposed those plans this day. And he's saying those plans need to stop. You need to repent. You need to change direction. You need to clean up the house. You need to clean up the dirt. Clean up the dirt that, that may be. There's dirt in hidden corners. There's stuff that needs to be re rearranged because it's underneath. It's unseen, but there's dirt. And the Lord is cleaning out that dirt. He's cleaning out that dirt. He's, he's, he's causing He's causing order to come to the disorder. There's a place of disorder in your life and the Lord's causing order to come to it this day. He's causing order to come to it. He wants to clean those areas of your life. He wants to bring uh, functionality where there's dysfunction. 